You are listening to Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs. I'm very excited today, actually, because I get to talk about psoriasis. And psoriasis is my favorite topic. I'm very, as Ginger mentioned, passionate about it. I love to teach about psoriasis. I'm really trying to, to get my audience, which in this case you guys, to, to help your patients. And so the focus to me is always the patient. And today, specifically, we're going to look at TALTS. It's a promotional talk um, sponsored by Lilly, as you know. And when we look at the rules of the uh, sponsored lecture, um, the, the, the slides and the discussion has to be focused on the product label. Um, there's lots of information off-label, of course, but I can take those um, uh, questions afterwards on the outside, or I can... I can respond to any of you um, by email as well. So today we're going to focus on the TALTS label and really the data from the Phase three studies um, for this drug. Now, I love the fact that uh, Lily starts with this slide because this slide um, is recently put out by the National Psoriasis Foundation Medical Advisory Board, and it talks about where in 2018 we need to be as practitioners with our psoriasis patients um, in, in regards to how much clearance we should have in them. And really the bottom line of this slide and of the paper, this is a paper that was published last year in the, in the blue journal, the, the Journal of the American Academy of Dermatology. The bottom line is that now, these days in practice, we should strive to get all of our patients to 1% BSA or less. Now let that sink in for a second. So when I trained, you know, if we got patients half better, we were all happy. You know, if we got patients a little bit better, we were, we were doing well. Um, but we never even thought about clearing skin, much less getting down to 1% or, or less. And why are the new guidelines this way? The new guidelines are this way because of, because of medications like TALTS that get us, that get ma the majority of patients to these levels. So I'm going to be showing you the numbers, the actual numbers and the data with TALTS, um, and we're going to keep kind of coming back to um, this target goal of 1% or less. Now, I get a lot of pushback on this slide when I present it because they're like, well, you know, that's unrealistic. It's really unrealistic to think that we can get all of our patients clear or almost clear. And I push back in saying it really is not, given the new tools we have in our toolbox, um, it, you just simply have to use them. So if you want to practice in modern guidelines, 2018, and get your patients clear, um, you need to be using the newer tools in the toolbox like TALTS. So it's very reachable if we're doing those things. Of course, it's not reachable goals if you're not using the tools that can get you there. So that's an important point is that um, you really want to be um, practicing in more what I call modern medicine um, that will get more of your patients more happy. And this is not just about selling more biologics. This is, there's data now about um, clear skin offering the best quality of life for your patients. 
and 100% clear skin has better quality of life than anything less, even statistically significant from 90 to 99% clear, is worse quality of life for the patient compared to 100% clear. So even a little bit of psoriasis affects people's lives. So remember that when you're seeing patients and they're 50% improved, don't be satisfied, don't be happy in 2018 with being half improved. So a really important slide to kind of set the stage for, for the TALTS data. Okay, so we're talking about TALTS today. It's a targeted biologic in that it targets one cytokine, interleukin 17A, IL-17A. IL-17A, what does it do normally in our body? So it normally functions in mucocutaneous defense. And how do we know that? We know that because when we have humans that are knocked out of IL-17 and they have no IL-17 in their body, they actually develop uh, chronic candidiasis and chronic staph infections in the skin. But systemically, they're okay because IL-17 is not involved in systemic immunity. And that's why, I'm telling you that, because that's why if you think about the side effects of, of TALS, we really don't see a lot of systemic things going on because we're not targeting a key molecule involved in systemic immunity like we are with TNF-alpha. So TNF-alpha is much more broad cytokine. It's involved in systemic immunity. When we target TNF, we're blocking more systemic immunity. And when we're blocking IL-17, we're blocking more of the skin immune system, which is exaggerated. It's elevated in psoriasis. So there's lots of IL-17 in psoriasis lesions, and we're trying to knock that high level down. And we know it's really a critical cytokine in psoriasis pathogenesis. So we just need to target one thing, kind of an Achilles heel in psoriasis, very selectively, um, and we're getting a um, nice safety profile as well because of that, that specific targeting to the skin, skin cytokine. TALTS itself is a monoclonal antibody, like all other biologics. It has a half-life of about 13 days. That goes into the dosing of the drug. So the drug is dosed chronically every four weeks. It's every two weeks in the first three months, but then it goes to every four weeks over time. And if we look at the label, the indications, it's indicated for moderate to severe psoriasis. So that makes sense, because I'm up here talking about that. But it also just recently got an approval for psoriatic arthritis. And I'm going to be talking about psoriatic arthritis data as well today. And then very recently, it received an update for approval for moderate to severe genital psoriasis. So it's the only biologic that's approved for moderate to severe genital psoriasis, um, another kind of feature that's it's a nice feature of TALTS. All right. So sometimes I hear, well, new drugs. I don't like to use new drugs. And I, I really don't like that argument or what I call an excuse um, because many times, most of the time, drugs are in development for many years. So if you look at the timeline here, um, TALTS has been in human beings back in 2008, and we're 2018 now, so it's been in human studies for a very long time, like most drugs are when they hit the market, 
as well, not all new drugs are completely new mechanisms of action. So we've been targeting this IL-23, IL-17 pathway for many years before that with Stellara and with Cosentix. So when a new drug comes out, don't not use it just because it's new. Um, it could just be a variation on a theme, an improvement of, of what we've seen in the past. It's been in trials for many years, and I'll go over the trial data to give you more comfort level um, for using, um, for using TALS. All right, so this other timeline, there's one more point on this, is that the psoriatic arthritis trials on the bottom of the slide um, have been going for the last five years. So we have five years of data um, with psoriatic arthritis patients and about 10 years of experience in psoriasis patients um, on TALTS. All right, well, I'm going to give you a little background on the Phase three program. So the studies were called Uncover 1, Uncover 2, and Uncover 3. They're pretty much typical psoriasis patients that you see in other biologics trials. They had to have 10% body surface area, uh, passes of 12, um, global scores of 3 or more, very typical uh, population. Um, the average PASI score, if you look on the right-hand side, was seven to, 17 to 18, so it's right here. And about half of the patients were, um, were, were severe or very severe on the global score, so that's actually quite a, quite a severe population, um, about half of the patients with that kind of global score. Prior phototherapy, many of them, about a quarter of them had prior biologic therapy. And then the endpoints, I'm going to talk about the endpoints of PASI 75, 90, 100, and PGA 0 and 0, 01 as I go through the data. So the design was pretty straightforward. And again, these studies were um, designed back in 2011, so a long time ago. And then the comparator of choice was Enbrel. So Enbrel or Tanercept, you see in the blue there. Two of the trials compared against Enbrel, and then the other trial was simply compared to placebo. Um, in white, we have one dose, um, induction dose every four weeks, and in green, um, every two weeks. And the green indication is what is in the label. So every two weeks for the first 12 weeks, as I mentioned. But originally, we didn't know what the best starting dose was, so that's why we had the every four-week group originally. Okay, so here's a bottom line slide. Here's one that hopefully you'll remember some numbers here. Um, 90, 70, 40 is kind of what I want you to remember. So it's 90% of patients in Uncover 2 had a PASI 75 response at week 12. 90% of patients. 9 out of 10 were 75% or more improved in just 12 weeks on this drug. And then if we look at another measure, passing 90, which means 90% or more improved, it often correlates with clear or almost clear, it's, it's over 70% of patients. So if we go back to that MPF slide at the beginning, right off the bat, if you use no other drug than TALTS, you'd have 70% of your patients meeting the NPF guidelines. And of course, we have other options, and, but 70% a success rate 
right off the bat if you use no other drug for psoriasis. So it's not hard these days to get people to clear or almost clear. We have the tools, as you can see here, very clearly um, with TALTS and, and the numbers. And then the other side of the slide, it's 40% of patients were completely clear after just 12 weeks. We call that PASI 100. No psoriasis left in 40% of patients. And this number, as I'll show, goes up with time. This PASI 100 number improves over time. This is just the week 12 data. Okay. So I have goosebumps. I hope you guys do. I mean, th these, I can't really overemphasize it. These are, these are impressive numbers, okay? These are numbers that we have not seen before prior to uncover data. All right, now if we look at, I showed you results from one study. So now what I'm doing is showing the results from all three studies, uncover one, two, and three, and basically we see the same result as I just showed you. We're 87%, 89%, and 90% PASI 75 across the three studies. If we go over here, almost clear or clear, it's 81, 83, and 82% of patients who are clear or almost clear. So by this measure, the global score, you've got over 80% of patients reaching that MPF goal of clear or almost clear. Okay, so it's just another way of measuring it. PASI is one way of measuring it. Global score, PGA is another way of measuring it. So why is this important? This is important because all these studies were done in different patients, different investigators, different countries all over the world independently and look at how the results are so similar. This is exactly what you want to see in a phase three program when you see multiple studies. If you see results in one study look like this and another study look like that, call into question sort of the believability of the data. So what you can do by seeing this is really believe the data. It makes it stronger when you have replication happening in different populations in different countries. So that's the power of this slide. All right, and then if we look now at measurements of um, complete resolution or clear skin, it's, again, two flavors, two ways of saying it, PASI 100 or a PGA of zero. We're in that 40% range that I mentioned before. That's one of the numbers I said to remember, 90, 70, 40. Um, and so we see replication um, with the complete skin data, complete clear skin data. All right, this is kind of a fun slide because um, we have pictures, time-lapse photography here of the, the response in, in a few patients that we've selected. And I'm going to click the clicker, and then you have to, it'll be a series of weeks um, on TALTS. And I'm going to announce the week number as we go along, but just look at the, the lesions here. Week one, two week three, week four, eight, week 12. Okay. You guys like that? You want to see another one? 
Here's another one. Week zero, week one, two, three, four, eight, and 12. So this guy went from a passy of 32.5 down to 2.3. We don't measure post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation as being active psoriasis. So as you can see in this darker-skinned individual, we have post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation that tends to fade with time. But you see an incredible response from a very high starting point in this patient. I think there's one more. Week zero, very thick plaques. One, two, three, four, eight, and 12. So I like this one because the plaques are so thick and gnarly. I mean, getting thick psoriasis clear, you, you, you know this, is tough to do. And so this patient, even though they didn't have a lot of BSA, they had very thick lesions that went to a zero at week 12. So this gives you a flavor for the, what happens, the drama that happens in that first 12 weeks of TALTS. I call it dramatic. When I was doing the trials, we had a lot of patients on this in the trials. And just walking in the room, you know, week one, week two, and seeing it, seeing it happen in front of us was, was pretty dramatic. A lot of practitioners don't see this because they don't see the, the patients come back, you know, in the first few weeks. They might see them a few months later. But if you haven't used TALTS and want to, or want, you know, you can always bring the patient back at two weeks and see with your own eyes what, ha- what is happening um, at the two-week time point. All right, so we're going to talk about adverse reactions a little bit now. Um, this slide focuses on the things that happened in the trials in just the first 12 weeks. Okay? We're going to talk about long-term safety as well today. But why are we pulling this out? We're pulling this out because we have the placebo control. It's always important to have the placebo control and look at the side effects in the placebo group, comparing it to the side effects in the, the active group. And then we have the, ta- the, uh, the Enbrel data in the center. So injection site reactions, we'll t- I'll take you through this. 17% of patients on TALTS versus 3% in placebo and 11% on Enbrel. So here is a signal. Um, we know that TALTS can have injection site reactions. Um, usually they're mild to moderate. Usually they don't interfere with continuing the, the drug. So that's the... The bad news is that it's 17. The good news is usually it's not a problem clinically for the patient. If we look at URIs, we have 14% in TALTS, 8% for Enbrel, and 13% for placebo. Do you, I, I want you to compare TALTS with the placebo group. Remember I said that IL-17 is not involved in systemic immunity? And so, to me, this data reflects that, that we don't see much of a difference here, essentially the same in the placebo group URI versus TALTS URI, 14 versus 13%. So it's not about the number. It's about how it compares with the placebo number. So your eyes have to go back and forth comparing the number in the two columns. Um, Nausea. 2% 2% versus 1%, tinea 2% versus less than 1%. So this is all 
this is all we have. So the power of this slide is the things that are not on it. There's a lot of things not on this slide, right? Cancer, heart attack, cellulitis, pneumonia, LFT abnormalities, la la la. I mean, on and on. Everything that's not on here is not on here because it didn't occur more than in the placebo group. So this really is more about the absence of things rather than what's actually on this slide. Okay. We're always interested in infections. Infections are always a thing in, in biologic trials. Here's the infection rate. So 27% of patients had infections on TALTS and 23% of patients on placebo had infections in very comparable um, numbers. Serious infections, 0.4% versus 0.4% in the placebo group. This is kind of the, the data that we are ideally looking for, the reassuring data, um, comparing, again, percentages in the placebo group versus the active group. Right, now this is the first slide I've shown you that is a time course. So everything up to this point, I've shown you just the week 12 data. It's just a bar graph. Um, now you see a time course of the, um, so on the, on the left-hand side, the, the y-axis shows the mean change in the PASI from baseline. So we have 30% improvement in PASI at week one. We've got 52% improvement in the PASI at week two, 70% improvement in the PASI score at week four, and so forth. Week 12, we have 91% average improvement in the PASI score at week 12. It's another number you can remember. If you just want to remember one number to tell patients, they say, well, how, how am I going to, you say, you're going to be, on average, on average, 90% improved 12 weeks after starting. That's a, a simple thing. You know, I think we get overrun with lots of numbers on clinical trials, but I encourage you guys to pick out the numbers that work for you and work in your practice when you're explaining drugs to patients and how, what the expectation is for drugs. So this is another nice one to remember, this 90% improvement in the score um, at the week 12 level. So this is another important slide. So I'm showing you a lot. I'm saying, you know, really that what Lily has done is kind of condensed down this slide deck so that every slide really has important information. This one says that it doesn't matter what age the patient is, what race, what gender, what body weight, or whether they had previous biologics, they do equally well, all of these different groups. So young do just as well as old patients. Heavy patients do just as well as thinner patients. This is actually a powerful slide because we know with older biologics, we get a hit when patients are heavier, and we get a hit when the patients have been on previous biologics. Their response rates are lower with the older biologics. But we don't see that with TALTS. So it, again, what is the best patient for TALTS? Well, there isn't a best patient. There isn't a subgroup that works best. 
is pretty much all comers. The best patient for treatment with TALS has moderate to severe psoriasis, period. All types of moderate to severe psoriasis patients are going to be good candidates for this drug. And here's actual data. This is biologic naive versus biologic experienced. And you can see the response rates are essentially the same, whether they're bio-naive or bio-experienced. So if you have that patient who, who's been on everything, and you're like, oh, I don't know if I should put them on TALTS. That's the patient you should put on TALTS if they've been on everything and have not done well. That's what this data says, that the people who have been on lots of things do just as well um, compared to when they're bio-naive. All right, now we're going to talk about long-term data now. So long-term data, we're always, always interested in, in psoriasis. So I've only talked about 12-week data so far. Um, Lily did a little bit of an odd analysis here. In this analysis, they took people who were clear or almost clear at week 12, so responders, in other words, and then looked at the percentage of people who were clear or almost clear in that group at week 60, okay? And the data shows that 75% of patients who are clear, almost clear at week 12 are clear, almost clear at week 60. Now, you might say, well, that means 25% drop-off. It's actually not exactly that because this is a very strict analysis that had a lot of strict rules for calling people non-responders. And it's not really the, the, exactly the um, historical way that long-term maintenance is assessed. So with their advisors, with, with some help, they've actually expressed the data now in terms that are more standard for maintenance of therapy. And what I'm showing now is PASI 75 over time, and not only 60 weeks, I'm showing three years this is three years of TALTS, three years of continuous TALTS, and it's PASI 75 data. Now, the top line are the patients who are only left in the trial. We call that as-observed data, and it's 97% of patients who are in the trial three years later are at PASI 75 or, or better. Okay? So you might say, well, that's going to overestimate the response, and it does, because it doesn't account for people who dropped out. If you do the very, very strict analysis and call everybody that's dropped out as a non-responder, even if they were a responder and they moved away or, or whatever, it's still, it's 81% of people who are at PASI 75 if you, if you make the denominator everybody who started the trial at time zero. So the, the criticism of this type of analysis is that it's, it almost underestimates the maintenance response. So you have one that overestimates, in my view, and one that kind of underestimates. And probably the truth of maintenance of therapy lies somewhere between these two numbers. But the point is, the numbers are very high, as you can see in this slide, and the curves are very flat. We don't see the, a big drop-off after one year of TALTS or a big drop-off after two years of TALTS. So this is, again, the kind of thing we'd like to see um, in maintenance data. 
And then now I'm showing you passing 90. So you can see here people who are left in the trial, 87% of them are 90% or more improved. If you take all comers, it's 66%. Again, probably the truth lying somewhere in between these two numbers. But this is more higher level of response. And then this is the numbers for complete clearance. And I mentioned back a little ways ago about how PASI 100 goes up with time. And you can see it here. So the numbers between 57 and 64% of patients are completely clear at the week 60 number, at week 60 time point. The complete clearance rate is between these numbers. And then at three years, you still have people between 45 and 64% who are completely clear on TALTS. Higher than that original 40% number that I showed you with the week 12 data. All right, how about safety over time? So safety over time is, is a big thing for our practice. Psoriasis is a chronic disease. This is a chronic therapy. We want to have a safe drug over time. Um, and so here we put the side effect numbers in rate. Instead of percentage, the way that this is um, typically done is to say what is the event rate per 100 patient years. And it accounts for patients who have been on drug for a long period of time. So if you have no side effects in someone on drug for two months and have no side effects in, in someone on drug for two years, what's more important for us? It's the two-year safety that's, that's more powerful, right? The longer, the, And so this type of analysis accounts for people who have been on drug. It counts them more if they've been on drug more. So if we look at, if we get a placebo rate, we see that people on placebo have two side effects per 100 patient years, and TALT's rate over 60 weeks is 1.4 side effects, so actually a lower rate of side effects compared to the rate we see with placebo. And then if we, go, we drill down to serious adverse events, it's the same rate. Infection, it's, it's lower than placebo the serious infection rate is the same rate as the placebo rate. Let that sink in for a second. So I'm saying at 60 weeks, there's no evidence that the adverse event rate, rate is higher than a placebo rate um, looking at these same parameters. So very powerful data. Now, if we go on things of interest, here I'm showing serious infections, candida, oral candidiasis. We're pulling out now, pulling out specific things. We've got malignancy in here, um, Crohn's disease, and when we get our rate. And we do see a signal here under candida. Candida infections, it's two, two cases per 100 patient years. And that makes sense given what we know about IL-17. And we know in people with no IL-17, they get candida. So here we're knocking down levels. We're not creating a knockout. So not every TALTS patient gets candida. But we see a candida sig signal, a small candida signal, kind of consistent with what we know about the role of IL-17 
in controlling candida infections. And the candida is not systemic candidiasis, like we used to see years ago in AIDS patients. This is mucocutaneous candidiasis, usually thrush. So you do want to tell your patients to look out for thrush, and you do want to ask them about that. The other thing here that's gotten a lot of um, notice is the inflammatory bowel disease number, so Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis down here. And the rate is low, but it's higher than what we saw in placebo. And the rate is about one to two cases of inflammatory bowel disease per 1,000 patients treated. About one to two cases per 1,000 patients treated with TALTS is the rate that we're seeing for IBD. So even though that's rare, I mention that to patients as well. Um, I mentioned really, I, I kind of emphasize Canada as being more common, look out for thrush, and then I talk about the rare incidence of IBD. Obviously, if a patient is having any kind of diarrhea um, and they're on TALTS, you're going to want to um, think about IBD. Okay, we're going to go to some more head-to-head data. So long ago, I mentioned Etanercept, Enbrel. Here's the data for Enbrel. So if you're using Enbrel still, you're probably not getting to the goals that the MPF has talked about because here's complete clearance on Enbrel after 12 weeks. It's 5%, 4%. 4 to 5% of patients are completely clear on Enbrel after 12 weeks. So pretty low number. And the PASI 75 number is 41%. It's less than half of what the TALTS number is. Now you might say, well, Enbrel is an easy drug to beat. So what about a more formidable foe? So Lily now has conducted and completed a comparison study with Stellara. And here's the Stellara design. 50% of patients on Stellara, 50% on, on TALTS. And we're going to compare the two groups for one year. So a very simple design. And here's the data. Um, 2009, Stellar was the best drug in the world. I loved it. But we're in 2018 now. This is 2018. Uh, drug clearly better than Stellar at pretty much any time point that you look at. And over, as shown here, over 24 weeks. Um, and this is uh, looking at PASI 90 and PASI 100. You also see bigger differences between TALTS and the older biologics when you go to a higher bar. A higher bar of clearance like PASI 90 or 100, that's where you see a drug like TALTS really performing well. The older drugs, are, it's difficult for the older drugs to get up to these kinds of clearance numbers um, these PASI 90s and PASI 100 numbers. All right, psoriatic arthritis. This is the new stuff, so this is kind of fun, fun for me to present to you guys because about a third of our patients are going to have psoriatic arthritis, and you should be asking every single patient about joint pain. It's not hard to do. A lot of dermatologists and dermatology practitioners will say, I'm not a rheumatologist. I'm not going to ask about joint pain. I don't want to get that answer. Uh, don't do that. It's very easy to ask, do you have joint pain? Do you have swollen fingers or toes? Do you have morning stiffness? And pretty much that's my screening. That's it right there. Do you have any joint pain? 
fingers or toes that are swollen, um, maybe Achilles tendon pain, and then you've got whether they have psoriatic arthritis or not, usually. So this slide gives some background on psoriatic arthritis. You probably all know this. Usually the skin disease occurs first, and then about 10 years on average, the psoriatic arthritis comes after that, which really puts this in our domain. Dermatology practitioners, it's really kind of in our domain to be identifying psoriatic arthritis because we're seeing these patients with skin disease often first. All right, so the design of the studies, there were two of them, one called Spirit P1 and one Spirit P2. They're very similar, except for the first study um, has, um, has Humira as an active um, active arm. It, there wasn't enough patients in that arm to say that it's an active head-to-head comparison, but we had people on Humira in the, in the P1 study, and then the P2 study was TNF-experienced patients. So this, this is a more tough population, so, more, so bio-naive on the left, and then TNF-experienced psoriatic arthritis patients on the right. Um, here's the design, again, of the first trial. It has the adalimumab. It's called the active reference arm. And when I'm asked about, well, why is this not an active comparator? Again, the numbers were not big enough. And the purpose of this is to make sure that the population um, had disease that could be affected by Humira. So, in, in other words, it's, it's a reference that the population was correct in the trial. So every two weeks with every four weeks was compared in the TALTS groups. Um, here are the patients in the BioNaive trial. And there are a few things here that I think are interesting. So um, patients were on methotrexate. So for the first time now, we have data of TALTS plus methotrexate because we didn't have methotrexate in the psoriasis trials. Um, the other thing here is that they have a lot of joint disease. 20, on average, 20 tender joints. 20 tender joints on average at the beginning. That's quite a bit of quite a bit of disease, and ten swollen joints, on average, ten to eleven. Here's the other design. There's no adalimumab Humira comparator here or reference arm. And in this trial, we see the previous inadequate response to TNF because that's what the the population is. Um, that over half of the patients fail one. Uh, 40-something, 41% of patients that have failed two TNFs. Um, so more of a tough population, if you will. So here's the results of the um, first trial. And ACR20, for those of you who don't know, is kind of like the PASI-75. It's like the PASI-75 of psoriatic arthritis trials. And the number for TALTS is 58% achieving ACR20 at week 24. You also see here a high placebo response rate, 30%, and that's typical as well in a psoriatic arthritis trial. It's typical because ACR includes subjective measurements. It's not just objective measurements. ACR 
include subjective measurements, so we see a higher placebo rate. ACR 50 is like PASI 90, and then ACR 70 is like a PASI 100. It's a terrific result. So I like to point out that 23% of patients have a terrific response for their joint pain. ACR 70, 23%. The other thing that's on here, it's in small letters, is right here. It's 57% of patients on adalibumab had ACR 20, 39% ACR 50, and 26% ACR 70. That's important. It's important because the Humira numbers that I'm showing here are consistent with the Humira data we know from the past, which, which means that the trial was a good trial because the Humira response rate is what we expected. And then we can um, kind of see if we're in the ballpark, which, which right, right across the board, we're in the ballpark. Um, it's not an active comparator. You can't say head-to-head. But this gives us information that we haven't had before. All right, so here is the time course for the ACR response. And here we have it over 24 weeks. We see that patients, um, you can see the ACR response um, take off better in the first four to eight weeks. Um, Here's the placebo response. And and I'm also showing you here for the first time TNF-naive, versus TNF experienced. And they actually end at pretty similar numbers, 58% and 53%. And actually, there's a bigger treatment effect in the TNF experienced group, because if you do 53 minus 20, it's 33% what's called treatment effect. And here, it's a 28% treatment effect. So this is strong data, that it's working well as well in this TNF-experienced population. Okay, here it's data for over two years. So two years of arthritis data, what do we see? We see the numbers coming up from week 24 to being even higher. So so again, we have this observed versus NRI, sort of like the best-case scenario, worst-case scenario. So probably the truth is somewhere in the 70 to 86 percent range that two years later joint pain um, is really um, is really working in joint pain as we see with this two-year data. ACR 50 um, over time over two years and here's the what I call the super responders if you will the ACR 70 responders over time Um, we're getting up into the the 40 to 49 percent range at one year 30 to 39% range at two years. With or without methotrexate, we saw pretty similar results. With methotrexate, 54%. Without methotrexate, 62 You may say, well, that's, that's unusual. Why do we see a higher rate? Probably because the patients on methotrexate are tougher patients, like a tougher crowd. So we see a little bit lower response rate in that group. All right, so here's an important slide. This one is about radiographic evidence of joint damage. So we say joint space narrowing and bone erosion. And this is done by taking radiographs of the hands of patients. 
and then a blinded radiologist is sitting in a room and just measuring and giving a score for bone erosion and for joint space narrowing. Patients on placebo have higher scores, total scores. They have higher joint space narrowing scores. They have higher bone erosion scores than the patients on TALTS. I want you to think about what's happening, what I'm showing you here. I'm showing you people with psoriatic arthritis who are not treated. And what is happening, in this case, four months later. In four months, we can see objective evidence of worsening joints in just four months without treatment. Why is that important for us? It's because you don't want to miss psoriatic arthritis. You don't want to be treating a psoriatic arthritis patient with topicals or with phototherapy specifically. Why? Because you're going to be seeing progression of the joint damage in those patients if, they're not, if, you, if you have untreated psoriatic arthritis. And you can block that. You can slow that um, with a drug like TALTS as shown in this data. All right, safety in the psoriatic arthritis trials was essentially the same. There was... Um, 1.3% cases of influenza versus 0.4 in the placebo, kind of low numbers here. Uh, conjunctivitis, 1.3% versus zero in the placebo. Again, low numbers, but um, essentially similar safety as we saw in the psoriasis trials. So we come to some product information at the end. We've got um, a contraindication for anybody who's allergic to TALTS. You shouldn't use TALTS. Um, hypersensitivity reactions have occurred. Um, there have been a, um, a cases of anaphylaxis reported. Fortunately, these are, these are rare. Um, infection. We have infection warning from the FDA in every biologic uh, product insert. And the word is TALTS may increase risk of infection. And what's that based upon? It's really based upon that number I showed you a while back, 27% versus 23%. But we also know that the infection for candida, that candida is actually um, a low-level signal. So we get this statement um, in the label. Um, there is a requirement for evaluating TB. And why is that the case? It's because it was done in the trial. Um, we know that IL-17 is really not involved in TB pathogenesis, but we have kind of a conservative labeling here uh, requiring the, the pretreatment evaluation for TB like we do with other biologics. Hypersensitivity, we talked about, it's unusual, it's rare, it's less than 0.1% of cases. Inflammatory bowel disease, we also talked about, it's in the one to two patients per 1,000 treated with TALTS. I do think this is important to talk to patients about. Obviously, you don't want them to be continuing therapy if they have IBD. No live immunizations, just like with other biologics, um, basically because there's no data. It's, it just hasn't been studied. So we have the conservative label um, saying no live immunizations. And then it comes down now to that table of, of a few things that I mentioned, the injection site reactions, URI, nausea, and tinea, and I showed you the numbers compared to placebo numbers. So as far as dosing goes, I alluded to this, but 
Um, I talked about every two-week dosing in the first three months, and then it's once a month. But I didn't talk about the first, the very first um, dose is two shots. Um, it gives a boost. It's the loading dose, if you will. Um, and, the, and the drug actually comes, there's two, two things per package, two um, injector devices. So, um, yeah. Actually, I mean, that might not be true. I may, I may have misspoken on that. I, I have to clarify that. I'm not sure exactly how it's packaged. Easy to have in the refrigerator, though, because it's once a month. Um, now, here's psoriatic arthritis dosing. It's actually interesting because I didn't show it, but the every two-week dosing was actually the same result as the every four-week dosing for psoriatic arthritis. Um, so if you're really treating just psoriatic arthritis, um, you don't need that every two-week um, dosing in the first three months. We have a lot of experience with TALTS now since uh, it's been two and a half years now since it's been on the market. A lot of folks are using the drug. And then I think this is one of the most important things in that it's easy to get TALTS for your patients who are commercially insured. So this is not applicable for Medicare or Medicaid patients because that's considered government insurance. But if your patients have commercial insurance, and the insurance covers TALTS, and the copay turns out to be very high, then they actually pay no more than $5 per month for their drug. So they don't, you don't have to deal with high copays submarining your prescription and keeping your patient from getting it. The other side of the slide says if the insurance, commercial insurance, does not cover TALTS, or says you have to use methotrexate first, you have to use Humira first, you can actually get TALTS um, for $25 a month under this program. So this is called the TALTS Clear Access Program. Another feature of this, which is new, is that if it's a commercially insured patient, you send in the paperwork. Actually now, um, it's gonna be like Amazon Prime. That first dose is going to come to your office within 48, it's going to be shipped within 48 hours of receiving the form. So this is a, a new feature of the TALTS Access Program. The speed in which you're going to get that first dose, it's going to be shipped within 48 hours of when the form is sent in. So to me, this program has really changed the way I practice. And I tell people this, it's, it's patient-focused, it's, it's allowing you to use the drug that you want to use first. Um, it's kind of taken away step edits for me. So for the last two and a half years, I haven't really prescribed methotrexate or, or even TNF blockers because I have access. I know I can get my patients um, a drug like TALS through this program. So to me, this is a very big thing. If you guys are doing it, great. If you haven't heard about this, Really, it's worth, um, worth talking to your rep to get more details. So in summary, we have that 90, 70, 40 response rates, 83% um, of patients that clear or almost clear. This is the week 12 numbers. The psoriatic arthritis data, we're in the mid to high 50% range. 
We got about a quarter of patients who are like super responders to the joint for the joint pain. And with that, I'm going to end. And I guess I think I have a, a few minutes for questions. So thank you very much. All right. So first one, after starting patient on TALTS, how often do you see them back in the office? Okay, that's a good question. Um, I think everybody's a little different. So um, this one, I'd like to see them within a few months. So if it's a patient that... uh, I just saw a patient back one month after starting who I was more worried about, who had more severe disease, and I wanted to make sure she was turned around... So I saw her at one month. But if it's a more typical patient, I'm pretty much feeling like that patient's going to do well. I'll have them come back at two or three months after starting. So I don't need to see them in a few weeks, in the first few weeks. And then if they're doing well, if they're doing well, meaning they're clear or almost clear and they're happy and there are no side effects, I see patients back twice a year, every six months. So within the first few months to get started to make sure everything's going well, um, if it's not going well, if you want to keep more closer eye, you know, every one to two to three months, if you're doing any kind of adjustment or if you're kind of worried about them for some reason or if they're not doing perfectly, uh, but every six months um, if they're doing well. Uh, yeah, how long do you maintain or continue this biologic? Okay, so it's a really important question, and... Patients come to our offices. All of you are patients. We're all patients, right? We don't, would we rather have disease or no disease? Right? We'd rather have no disease. Everybody wants to be cured of what they have. They don't want to be told they have a chronic disease. If they can, they don't want to continue on a chronic medicine. If they had their druthers, right? If you, if you had your choice, you, wouldn't, you would rather not be on a chronic medicine. We know in psoriasis in 2018, I'm going to preface this in 2018 because psoriasis therapy is going like this. And five years from now, ten years from now, there might be a different answer that I'm going to give you now. The answer now is the patients have to stay on the medicine if they want to stay clear. It's a treatment It's not a cure. We're not in the cure area yet, so it's a chronic therapy as if somebody would take for high blood pressure or insulin for diabetes. Um, That's the downside in 2018, but we're really, really, really good at it now with this medicine, right? We're really, really good at getting rid of the disease with the treatment. So unfortunately, the patients have to stay on it. We know pretty consistently that the disease will come back. Um, do you check CRP at baseline and intervals ever? So the answer is no for me. I'm, uh, I'm a clinical trialist mostly, and I'm checking laboratories for years and years and years on these biologics, and I've been getting bored, getting bored looking at lots of negative labs. And you'll see with TALTS and a lot of the newer biologics, no blood test monitoring recommended. Why? Because we don't see anything in the trials. Nothing happens to the liver test. Nothing happens to, you know, 
the kidney tests to the blood counts and so forth. CRP, I don't really use it. I mean, to me, because it's, uh, you can see the inflammation or you can see the joint pain swelling. You can ask the patient what their joints are like. Um, it's, not, it's not useful for me. All right, so let's see. Is there less pain using pre-filled syringe versus the, the, um, the device? That's a good question. So TALTS can hurt when it goes in. So it's not so much about the needle. It's about the liquid going in. So it's one of the things that you can hear from your patients. Um, for all of my patients, it's not a reason not to use the drug. So it's not a criteria that I say, oh gosh, I'm not going to use TALTS because it hurts going in. That's for five seconds once a month. So for hurting going in for five seconds once a month, nobody is stopping. None of my patients are stopping for that reason. I don't know the answer to this. Some people say that the pre-filled syringe is better because you can control it. You can actually control when it's going in. But I don't know if there's any data about pain, you know, any study data um, with the two methods. You can ask your patients. If they're complaining of a lot of pain, you may want to try one or the other. Anything else? What are your tips outside the standard injection tips? Um, You mean, I I guess this is for pain? For dealing with the pain, maybe? Is that the question? Um, if that's the question, you can, do, you can do ice if you want. You can have the patient rub the area. You can rotate the area. Um, behind the arm, it's, I think, is a little less painful sometimes than the abdomen or the top of the thigh. Um, you can try different areas of the body. Sometimes ice. Sometimes rubbing it. I think, is that it? All right. Thank you for attention. I appreciate your being here. This has been a presentation of Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs.